going to be beginning at the 12th verse. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his, 12, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, and behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who, who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, as you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you that you are a merciful Father, Lord, and I thank you for the truth of your word. And as Jackie prayed, Lord, I, I pray that uh, you would open our ears to hear, Lord, our eyes to see, and our hearts to understand. I pray your special anointing on Jackie this morning as he lays out your word to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I, uh, when I came to this text this past week in preparation, I asked the question, usually when I study, uh, I try to, to read a section of scripture many times I can. I tell the guys 50, that seemed like a good round number. But as I read it, I throw questions at it. What is this about? So the question, one of the questions at the top was, who are the blessed because I keep hearing about blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the. And 
I don't know, maybe I'm the only one struggling in the reality of the blessed are those. And how does that work? Who is he addressing? And Luke, I think, gives us some neat things. Now, remember as we study, and I I, want to encourage you guys, a lot of times people will look at this and say, well, this is a Sermon on the Mount. It's not. Jesus is telling this to his disciples. And as we get into the text, you're going to see he was standing in a level place. Not on a mountain. This are, these are things that Jesus continually taught. It wasn't like he, he gave one message, a Sermon on the Mount, and then he gave one message on the Sea of Galilee, and he gave one, you know, the, the, the uh, all of it discourse, or whatever different things will break up uh, theologically to talk about his teachings. He was continually teaching these things, these ideas, these concepts. And, and most of us, when we hear them, when we hear the blessed be and the woe to's and we look at them, we, we immediately are coming up with excuses. Why that's not something we're supposed to do. So I ask the question, who's the blessed? Who are the blessed be? Who's he talking to? What's he trying to get across? So I want to challenge you just today, just try to hear it at face value for what it's saying. Try to listen to the heart of your father and hear what he is wanting us to to glean from this section of scripture and i think i think that you'll be blessed as we look at this one of the things we're going to recognize is that this is a time when jesus is speaking directly to his disciples and disciples meaning more than 12 right because it's going to tell us he's going to choose the 12 out of his disciples He's going to choose them to be apostles. So he's, he's going to focus on the idea that, that Jesus chooses a particular group, a particular set out of a group of disciples, of people who were following him. And he chooses this set as apostles, or those whom he's going to do what? Send out. That's what apostle means. It's just a, in Latin, the word is miso. In English, it's missionary. It's just somebody who, with whom you're going to give a message, in this case, of good news to go and to share so that people can see and know. And so it's funny to me because when we look at the disciples, we, we think of teaching like this. You know, we have Western minds. Somebody stands in front of us and gives a lecture. In school, right, somebody stands up in front of us, gives a lecture, maybe gives us some exercise that we do to establish that thing that we're trying to learn. And we should have figured out a long time ago that the Western way doesn't work. Right? How many of you guys can still take a test from high school and pass? How many of you own that knowledge? Algebra, you own it. Not you kids who are still doing it. You said algebra in front of me, and it's like, nope, I haven't got it. Poof, gone. English? No! Uh, every Monday, where's Jerry's in? He, he gives me a grammar report on how many gots none I said while I was preaching him. And lets me know where my grammar was. So my grammar went out the window, right? So there's, there are, are, it's just, we're not attaining the knowledge, right? We pass the test. We get a piece of paper that says, okay, you graduated, or you, you've got this, and that earns us the right to earn more money than somebody else who, who might even be able to do the job better, but can't remember the history lesson, or the English, or the math. I don't know. In their day, they taught differently. In the time of Christ, they taught 
by, by just doing what we see Jesus doing here. Come follow me. Come follow me. It wasn't in a classroom. It was come watch me live. It was come watch how I walk. Come watch how I deal with things in life. Come watch me. How many of us, if we were in an internship program, in whatever, it doesn't matter what field, pick the field. If you came alongside somebody else and they taught you about that job as they did the job, would we not learn it? I mean, we'd understand it. It's hand over hand. It's, no, put your hand here. Do it like this. That's actually how it used to work once upon a time. So as these disciples are following Jesus, that's what's going on. They're following Him. They're doing hand over hand. In fact, in Acts 4, verse 13, after Jesus is gone, here's what they said about the disciples. Listen, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, blown away, minds melted, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. What's that mean? That means something of Jesus rubbed off on the disciples. And as we look at the, the text before us this morning, there's something of Jesus needs to rub off on us too. Something of Him. The things he loved, the things he said, the things he did. As we look at this, I think there's six characteristics of who the blessed are. Who are the blessed? I'm going to give you six answers and you run with it where you want to run. As we look at them, this is what we're going to talk about. The blessed are those who respond to the call. Those who respond to the call of Jesus. Those who have received the touch of Jesus. Jesus' touch in their life. Those that recognize their need before God. Those who rejoice over the eternal reward that the Scripture lays out for us. Those who realize the dangers of self-pursuit. And those who react with love toward their enemy. Those six things are who the blessed are. You answer those six, you found the blessed. Oh, how blessed they are. It says in verse 12, In these days he went to the mountain to pray, and he continued in prayer to God until day came. So he went up and he prayed all night. And some people say he went up and prayed all night because he wasn't sure maybe who he was going to pick. That's not how I see it. I see it as he absolutely knew who he was going to pick and he needed prayer for who he was going to pick. Yeah, he's picking these 12 guys. He knows who they are. I think those 12 guys were ordained, decreed from the foundational world. God was going to use these 12, uh, and they were going to do his work. And so he's going to pick them, and he goes into prayer. When he goes into prayer, it's so vital, and I, I'm so excited about the prayer groups and the prayer studies that are going on right now because it's a vital discipline within the church, and we ignore it. We just leave it. We say it doesn't, it's, you know, Santa Claus didn't give me what I wanted. We don't understand the purpose of prayer. We don't understand how prayer draws us into communion with God, and so we skip it. But Jesus didn't, and he was God. What does that mean? He wanted communion with his Father. Do we? We are fond of saying this phrase, Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, you tell me what relationship you got where you don't ever talk to the person you have a relationship with. And I will tell you, that's not a relationship. A relationship requires interaction. 
You tell me a relationship that you have where you won't read the letters written to you by the person in whom you have a relationship. And I'll tell you, that's not a relationship. A relationship comes because we are going after connecting with this person. Are you going after connecting with Jesus Christ? Is that Because that's a relationship. That's what we want. That's our desire. Go after him. So we want to look. What did Jesus do? He's going after God, isn't he? He's going after the Father. He's, he's, he is in prayer all night long because he wants to connect. He wants to feel his Father's presence and he wants to, to just be able to talk to him. Man, if you have ever gone to a retreat, men's retreat, women's retreat, and just had the sweet time and an afterglow where you just feel God's presence, and, and it's, it's not one way, it's two ways. You're, you're receiving something. I don't know how to put it in a tangible phrase. You're not necessarily having words uh, uh, being shouted down to you like Jesus did. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But there is something happening in it. And once you taste and see it, you want it again. You're not satisfied that, that that's just a once a year thing. You want that thing all the time. I want and long for that connection. And I want you to see a little bit into how that connection with Jesus was with prayer. We'll just flip over to John 17. Sorry, it's not in there, Carol. You'll never find it. This, uh, this is Jackie Adlib now. So, But if we look at John chapter 17, and I'm going to pick it up. Uh, John 17, we, we're studying on, on Sunday nights the Lord's Prayer. What they call the Lord's Prayer, which should really be called the Disciples' Prayer. Because the disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. John 17 is really the Lord's Prayer. This is where Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. And, and, I, I, and I'm just wondering if the prayer he's praying before he chooses the disciples is something like this, guys. It's something like this. He says, John 17, uh, verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. For I have glorified you on the earth, and I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory that I had with you, Before the world was, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which they, or which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for these whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one, 
as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth, for your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Verse 20, he goes on to say, I do not pray for these only, but for those who will believe in me because of them. That whole section, Jesus praying for his disciples. He's praying that they would have what they need to be who God's asking them to be. That they would have unity, right? That they would experience the same unity that the Father and Son have. That's pretty incredible unity, right? So, so this is a prayer, much like I think Jesus is praying before he chooses the twelve. He's praying that God would sanctify them, that God would move and work in them. And Scripture says he continued all night. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve that he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He pulls out the twelve. He lists out the twelve. Now, sometimes we struggle because we look at some of the other lists and we don't understand how they correspond. Just a quick uh, side note in case you need any Bible trivia. Bartholomew. Some people say, well, who's Bartholomew? And and in John chapter 1, you have a fellow named Nathaniel. Remember Nathaniel? Now, how does this work? Well, the problem is sometimes when we translate, we just, we just translate words that, and, and forget what they mean. We, or we just write it into English. Bartholomew, which means son of Ptolemy. The son of Ptolemy. Who's that? That's Nathaniel, the son of Ptolemy. Just like Judas. You have Judas. Iscariot. What's Iscariot mean? Iscariot, it means man of Kerioth. It's distinguishing between two people of the same name. You have the, the zealot who wants to go around killing people, right? Somehow mixed into a group of guys where there's a tax collector. A zealot who spends his life wanting to kill tax collectors and a tax collector on the same team. But he's de- delineating between the names. We've just got to dive in a little bit to see it. But I like how he, how he describes Judas to us. Luke's the only one who does this. He says, Judas who, what's the word? Became a traitor. Judas who became. Scriptures will tell us that Judas' heart, Judas never gave his heart. He never committed himself. He was there for the same teaching. He was there to hear the same things. But there was never a response And that lack of response, that lack of moving, led him to this phrase. He became a traitor. 
He became that. It's his, the choices that he made brought him to that place. Why? Because those who are blessed are those who respond to the call. And responding to the call, Jesus said in John 17 and other places, requires us to believe in him, who he said he was. He said, I am the Son of God. John, he says, unless you believe that I am eternal God, unless you believe that I am the ego I me, you will die in your sins. That's a big distinction. It's a big distinction. Jesus' words in red. Believe who he is. And so we see that Judas isn't that. He becomes a traitor. So who are the blessed? They're ones who respond to the call. They're the ones who respond when Jesus says, come and follow me. We sing songs like that all the time, right? Where you go, I go. Until what? For me, a life of discipleship and following Jesus Christ is all about this phrase. What will make you quit? What will make you quit? Did somebody in the church disappoint you? Jackie, I will, I promise. Sooner or later. I I promise if this haircut hasn't done it for you, there will be another one that will. You know, uh, the point is, what's going to make you stop? What will make you quit? What will make you turn around and say, nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. The world's full of people who say, I don't, I don't need to, to gather together. And usually I say, well, do you read the Bible? Because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. And so much more as you see the day approach. God says, man, I need you. I need, we need this connection with one another. We need this connection. Why? Because it's going to challenge us. I'm going to disappoint you and you're going to have to rise above. You're going to disappoint me. I'm going to have to rise above. We're going to struggle with one another and we're going to learn to get along with one another just like we do in family. Because, by the way, you're not supposed to get to quit that either. Are you? My kids are still my kids. You depend on what day you ask them, they may both say, no, I'm not. But they're still mine. You don't get to divorce the family of God. You don't get to divorce your family. You need the family of God. We want to respond to the call. We want to gather together. We want to be where we can be encouraged. That's who the blessed are. The second uh, thing I want you to look at, they're the ones who receive the healing touch of Christ. Look at verse 17. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people. And by the way, there's more than just 12 there, right? You get it? The great crowd of disciples. There's a lot of people who followed Jesus. A great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him. For power came out from him and healed them all. What was the point of Jesus' healing ministry? Sometimes we think the point of Jesus' healing ministry was to heal us. Because God never wants you to be sick. Because God doesn't want you to have to struggle with things. And so Jesus was come to do that. And we're doing something wrong if we're not experiencing the healing ministry in the same way that Jesus did at this point in His. 
But what we fail to, to understand is His healing ministry is an illustration of Jesus cleansing us from our brokenness. Outside brokenness is easy to see. If I come up to Jesus and I'm missing a leg... It's easy to see my brokenness, right? And when He heals me, and then I have a leg, it's easy to see what? That He made that one who was broken whole. And He did it over and over and over and over. So that people would get the message, I came to make the broken whole. The problem is, we think that's only on the outside. The disease that we may carry around, guys, the struggle that we may have with cancer or the struggle that we may have with some other type of disease, all of those things are just illustrations of the real cancer, sin in your life. And Jesus Christ is letting everyone know that He's the cure for it. I make the broken whole. Who are the blessed ones? The ones who know that. The ones who have been touched by Jesus. And maybe He has healed you physically. For God is able, absolutely, to heal. But even more importantly, God needs to heal you of your sin problem. God needs to make you whole on the inside. On the outside, you might look great. All your friends and family look at you and say, Man, you are amazing and you've got it all together. But you know the reality. You know what's inside you. You know the things that are bouncing around in your head. You know, if you know that, that you need someone who can purge you. Cleanse you from the inside out. That's what Jesus' healing was all about. That's why... He never put up a a billboard. He just healed all who came to him. And how many times does Luke have to use that word? And they came and touched him and he healed them all. And he healed them all. And he healed, they have an unclean spirit in him. They come and he casts them out. He's God. He is sharing with everyone who will have eyes to see and ears to hear that I'm the one who makes the broken whole. Isn't that what it said in Isaiah 61, 1 through 3? That, you know, that whole text that says, I came to give him beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. What is it that the Lord is declaring? I came that the blind would see. Is he just talking about physical? I came that the deaf would hear. Is he just talking about physical? Is that all there is? It's just making our physical lives better. Is that what Jesus is for? Or is it more than that? Is it deeper than that? Who are the blessed? Those who have received the healing touch of Christ, being made whole, understanding what it is that Christ does with our sin. The third part of this, the third group, is those who recognize their need. Who are the blessed? Those who recognize their need. In verse 20, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. So he's there as a big group of people, but he's looking at who? Looking at his disciples, isn't he? He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor. Now think of the people he chose. The majority of them are what we would call common people, but not all, right? Matthew's rich. Maybe from ripping everybody else off, but nonetheless. So so he looks at him and he says, Blessed are you who are poor. 
For yours is the kingdom of God. There's three things in recognizing our need. First one right here is humility. It's humility. Blessed are the poor. Who are the blessed? Those who are able to recognize their own weakness. Those who are able to recognize their own darkness. It doesn't have anything to do with how much money they have. How big their house is. How many cars they have. This is not the poor he's talking about. The word poor here literally means beggar. Blessed are the beggars. Why? What's a beggar do? A beggar knows he needs help. So what's he do? He asks. Right? What did we just see in the, in the earlier parts of the chapters we looked at before? A man full of leprosy. Right? Was he a beggar? Absolutely. Why? Because he fell down on his knees before Jesus and said, Lord, if you're willing, what? You can make me clean. You can make me clean. In a few, in a few chapters, we're going to meet a, a short guy, the scripture says, who couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd, so he climbed in a sycamore tree. What's his name? Zacchaeus. That's right, Zacchaeus. Is he a beggar? He was a wealthy man. But is he a beggar? Absolutely. Why? Because he knows what I need Jesus. And when he finds him, what happens? His whole life is transformed. Humility, humility comes when someone recognizes, I I don't have answers. Why is life so hard? I don't know, it's only as hard as it needs to be for God to get you to realize you don't have answers. And when you don't have the answers, maybe in humility you'll stand before Him and say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Why? Because they'll humble themselves before God and ask, help me. The Bible says in James that God resists the proud. What's the proud do? The proud says, I got this myself. That's not the way. That's not the who are the blessed. The blessed are not proud. The blessed are the humble who are able to ask, who are able to bow before the Lord. Psalm 40.17, listen to what it says. As for me... I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Psalm 40, first 70 Psalms written by David. You consider David poor? He was a king. Didn't always get to live like one. But David considered himself poor. I'm poor and needy. What's he saying? I need you, God. That's the point, or blessed are the poor. If all we're going to do is see words and meaning of words and be extreme literalists, we're going to miss the point behind what he's telling us. He's not talking about the poor people. He's talking about those like the poor who will be humble and come before the Lord. Next, he says, blessed are you who are hungry when? Now. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. The second, first point was humility. The second point that he talks about in the understanding of our need, recognizing our need, is this. Blessed are those who have faith, because faith leads to complete satisfaction. Matthew would say it like this. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
Now, we sometimes look at that and we think, yeah, that means I hunger and thirst for doing the right thing all the time. No, it means I hunger and thirst for true righteousness, the real deal. Not what I can churn up. I hunger and thirst for Him. For Him. Blessed are you who are hungry now. You're hungry now for Him. You're hungry now for a better world. You're hungry now for a better life. You're hungry now for righteousness. You have a desire now. Not tomorrow. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. The call has gone out. It's been expressed. Invitations are written. <clears throat> Whosoever will may come. So, blessed are you who hunger now. For you will be satisfied. And, and on Wednesdays, we've been studying the book of Proverbs. And on the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is all about, in my opinion, two roads. There are two roads. In fact, I, I often have a song go through my mind when I say that which is probably wrong to say in church, but there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road drawn. Now, most of you guys don't know that, right? Good. If I say it fast enough, you won't know that I, I was quoting Led Zeppelin in church, right? <laughs> but the idea is that there are two paths. Jesus talked about it, right? A wide path of destruction and a narrow path of life. And does he say that if you walk the narrow path, everywhere on the narrow path, you're going to find life? Or is it the narrow path that leads to life? The narrow path leads to life. The broad path leads to destruction. So blessed are you who hunger now. And hold on to your hunger. Because the end of that road, you'll be satisfied. When you see Jesus, you're not going to say, Oh man, what did I give all that up for? Oh, you're not going to say that. In my mind, when I see Jesus, it goes like the ending of the movie at Schindler's List. You guys ever see Schindler's List? You don't have to admit that you've done it. We're in church. Schindler's List. At the end of Schindler's List, he's, he's thinking, they're, they're telling him, they're basically thanking him for all this incredible stuff that he did. And all he can do is look and he has a ring on. You guys remember? And he's like, oh my gosh, I could have sold that ring. I could have got five more out or whatever the number was. All he could think about was, I could have done more when, when he got to the end. And that's how I think that, that meeting with Jesus is going to be. I'm not going to go, oh my gosh, I had, to, I had to lose so much for you. No, that's not how it's going to be. When I'm standing before Jesus, it'll be, why didn't I not get rid of more? Why didn't I lay more stuff down? Why, didn't I, why did I hold on to all that stuff? Because you are far greater treasure than anything I ever counted as valuable in my life. Blessed are, who are the blessed? Those who hunger for that. Because you will be satisfied. You will be satisfied. That road leads to satisfaction. And then the third one, listen to this. Blessed are you who weep. When? Now. Blessed are you who weep now. Why? For you shall laugh. Same concepts, guys, as going down the road. Blessed are you who weep now. That, that phrase, for those who weep now. What's he talking about? He's talking about repentance, weeping over our condition, weeping over our brokenness, weeping over our sin. Blessed are you who weep now. Why? Because that's the road of life. If you weep now, if you say, Lord, forgive me, I'm a wretch. I'm a broken sinner and I need you. If I weep now, that road leads to life and I will be satisfied and there will be joy inexpressible. 
There will be. If you weep now, most of the time we say, tomorrow, I'm too busy today. Got too much stuff going on, a lot of things, a lot of places to be, a lot of places I need to go. I'm too busy to weep now. We want to weep in repentance because why? Repentance is saying I recognize I'm not on the road of life. I'm on a road of destruction and I need to change my direction. Oh Lord, help me. I'm, I'm, I'm lost. I'm in the wrong place. Lead me. Show me. Who are the blessed those who can walk in humility, those who by faith look to satisfaction in Christ, and those who through repentance experience the touch of the Lord. You know, most of that leper's life, he just hung out in a leper colony. One day he decided to take a different road. He decided to take a road that led him to Jesus. And then he cried out, Lord, if you are willing... Humility, faith, repentance. These are those who recognize their need. But Scripture goes on in verse 22, for those who rejoice over reward. Look what it says in 22. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. That's kind of an important phrase. On account of the Son of Man, not if people hate you because you're a knucklehead. Not if people hate you because you're mean, crotchety old jerk. It says, blessed are you when people hate you because of the Son of Man. When people hate you because you love Jesus. And because of what loving Jesus is leading you to. He says in verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For this, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Hey, you know you're on the road of life. Why? Because that's how they treat other people who are on the road of life. They hated them. They hated them. So when people hate you, don't get your feelings hurt. When people hate you, when people say mean things about you because you say you're a Christian or you follow Christ, when they throw an egg at you if you're outside Planned Parenthood, or they tell you you're number one in a different language altogether. He says, rejoice, jump for joy. Rejoice, jump for joy. Because that's how they treat everybody who's on that road. It's a confirmation of where you are. A confirmation of where you are. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Now listen to the next phrase. For behold, your reward is great where? In heaven. At the end of the road, it will be worth it. That's what he's telling you. Hey, when everybody hates you, don't sweat it. It will be worth it. It will be worth it. To see the blessings of God. The whole thing here, the whole thing, rejoicing over our eternal reward is, is the battle between the temporary and the eternal. I want it now. I want it now. I want to be happy now. I want my stuff now. I want my uh, inheritance now. I, that's, that's the clamor of the world. Make me happy now. Take the sickness away now. I don't want to suffer now. But God's ways is a lot different. 
His way is be hungry now, and you'll be satisfied later. Weep now, you'll laugh later. His way is so much better because it ends in life. Sometimes we can lay up for ourselves treasures on earth, but Matthew talked about that, didn't he? Matthew chapter 6, listen to what he says, Matthew 6, uh, 19 and 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. How come? You don't get to take it with you. Nope. What's it do? If it's shiny, it gets dull. If it's new, it gets old. If you're unlucky, somebody breaks in and steals it. If it's your favorite shirt hanging in the closet, a moth gets to it and eats a hole. Yeah, or a mouse. Something. It's Idaho. The point is, in Matthew 6, 19-21, there's nothing on this earth that's going to satisfy. God is saying, be hungry now, be satisfied later. Be hungry for me now. Be hungry now. Don't, don't look for all the answers in the here and now. Look for all the answers with Him. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth, there is no moth, there is no rust, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, what's He say? That's where your heart is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. What does God want to be? Where does God want your heart to be, according to the Bible? Where does God want your heart? says in the great Shema, Deuteronomy, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, He is one God. And you shall love the Lord your God with how much? All your heart. So where does God want your heart? He wants it on Him, right? Why? Because He... It, Look, it's arrogant if it's not true. Isn't it? It's arrogant if it's not true. Why does God want my heart on Him? Well, because He's the greatest treasure in the universe. Oh, come on. Well, be hungry now and find out. Or fill yourself now and never know. But God says He's the greatest thing ever. It's only arrogant if it's not true. If it's true, that's loving. Because the God is saying, I'm what you need. In fact, you know that's his name, right? Forever his name was, was known early on in Moses and, and uh, in his writings. His name was the Lord. The Lord. Sometimes El Shaddai, Elohim. He says, but by my name, they never knew me. By my name, what was his name? Yahweh. God came to Moses and said, I'm Yahweh. What's he saying? I am everything you need. That's the name of God. The becoming one. I am what you need. We spend all our time trying to make something else satisfy. Something shiny, something fast, something loud, something uh, lets the wind blow through your hair, if you still have some. But there, He is the treasure. Don't set up treasures here. Set up treasures there. Rejoice when man hates you, because great is your reward. Set your reward in heaven. It's okay to have a distinction between you and the world. 
It's okay for them to know there's something different about you. That's okay. It's okay. We're so worried that we're going to offend them and we're not worried at all we're going to offend God. Why? Why am I more worried about this person I'm trying to, to stop from doing some horrible thing on a street corner? Why am I more concerned about them than I am about how it looks to God? And what does it look like to God when we do nothing? He says, Who are the blessed? Those whom men hate because they're willing to stand in the distinction with Jesus Christ. The disciples that cost them a beating... I ain't never seen none of us beat for Jesus yet. Cost them a beating. And then they said, just don't ever say the name of Jesus again. Just go. And they said, before they left, they're still standing in front of the dudes who killed Jesus and beat them. Look, whether it's right to obey you or God, you decide, but we're going to preach Jesus as soon as I get out this door. And Acts 4 says... They looked at him and said, what a bunch of uneducated common guys who were with Jesus. Something different. Why can't there be a distinction? Oh, how happy are they. And then it switches. Look at verse 24, Luke 6. But woe to you who are rich. Now, you're going to hear four opposites. We just saw four positives. Now, we're going to see four negatives, the flip side. The backside of the, of the statement. Woe to you who are rich. What did he say earlier? Blessed are the poor. He's going to say, woe to you who are full. What did he say before? Blessed are you who are hungry. Right? Woe to you who laugh now. What did he say? Blessed are you who weep now. He's going to give us the flip side of it. Look at it. The four dangers of self-pursuit. Look. Woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. What's he talking about? Materialism. He's talking about materialism. Woe to you who are rich. You got your reward. There you go. Pile it up. Make a big pile. Materialism. Where does that lead to? It's contrasted with the poor. The poor who have the kingdom of God. Jesus tells a parable about four seeds. You guys remember? And one of them was choked out by the cares of this world, wasn't it? The cares of this world, the stuff, materialism, the things that can distract, something shiny. We all have it. We all have wanters that want things, don't we? Yeah, I do too. I got a wanter that wants something. My wanter needs to want God. If my wanter wants other things, I need to learn to let them go. Or I'll follow into one of the dangers of self-pursuit, satisfying myself with stuff. And all I've learned in satisfying myself with stuff is that stuff does not satisfy. Satisfy for a time. I go, woo, cool, man, that's awesome. And then you get the first scratch. Or your boat gets a hole in it. Or whatever, right? Stuff happens. Materialism doesn't lead to satisfaction. He's saying, oh, whoa. Understand this word, whoa. It means literally how tragic that you think this way. How tragic that you think your riches are going to satisfy you. How tragic. The next one is self-sufficiency. Look at it. Woe to you. How tragic to you who are full now. For you will be hungry. 
I'm not hungry after the Lord. I'm satisfied with all I got here in this world. I'm going to live my life here for all there is. And when I get to the end of the road, then I'll be hungry. So I'll get to the end of the road and I will say, yeah, this is not good. It wasn't the right road. That road didn't lead to life. That road led to destruction. Woe to you who are full now is contrasted with woe to you who are hungry. Hungry for Christ or satisfied with this world? If you're satisfied with this world, this world will give you all the satisfaction you can get between now and the day you see Christ. But there will be no satisfaction after that. And that will be longer than your 60 or 70 years here. Or 80 or 90 Whatever you get. <clears throat> next one, the next uh, woe, woe contrasted with a blessing, realizing the dangers of self-pursuit, is woe to you who seek after pleasure. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you who are seeking after pleasure now. I got what I need here. I got what I need in my riches. I got what I need in my, in my stuff, in my food. I got what I need in the pleasure. We are such a pleasure-seeking place. The United States of America, and I don't think it's just us, just other people have different ways of seeing it. But man, what is our whole day made up with? How am I going to entertain myself? Netflix? But when I was growing up, there was no such thing as binge-watching. You could binge-watch. If you missed the episode, you wait in a year to see it again. If you're lucky. Then they come out with these crazy uh, videotape machines. Yeah? You guys ever heard of those? Youngins are like, what? what's a videotape machine? I tell you, I, go, I, I had a beta once. How many of you guys had betas? Yeah? And you could rec- record a TV show. <gasps> I could record a TV show. And you could watch it with the little lines going across. <laughs> And we think, oh, this technology is so great. Now you don't ever have to not be entertained. Pick up your phone, turn it up, boom, there's entertainment 24-7. He says, woe to you. How tragic for you who think that's the most important thing. It's better to be those who mourn than those who are entertained to death. The fourth one, the fourth woe contrasted with blessing Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For that's how they treated the false prophets. Hey, everybody loves somebody who won't make a stand. Everybody loves you. Everybody loves you if you don't have an opinion. Or as long as your opinion lines up with everybody else's opinion. Right? Everybody will love you. We have a challenging discussion coming up Tuesday at the round table. We, uh, last time we discussed whether or not uh, the, the Republican or Democratic platform was, was in and of itself uh, Christian. And, uh, or is it just a lesser of two evils? You guys know the drill, right? And uh, this week we're going to say, okay, then let's write a truly Christian platform. What's it look like? What's that look like? Not theirs. Don't bring me theirs. Tear theirs up. You come with your Bible and you tell me what a Christian platform looks like. What matters to God? What are, what are His ideals? What are His rules? Because I tell you, 
when it's about him, the world is in opposition. No or yes? If you think it ain't, I, can, I got a place you can come hang out with me. We'll just go for it. We took a little ride last year about this time. I took our motor, took our motorcycle. I took my motorcycle and a couple other guys drove and we went to Arizona and we went out there for a conference and we went to a very happening place to tell people about Jesus. And everybody there hated your guts. Antifa was there. It was exciting. Uh, the Satanic Temple of Tucson was there. I'm trying to think of who else was there. But the one thing that came across loud and clear. If you decide you're going to stand for Jesus, there are a lot of other people who will say, no, no, no. And they don't want to talk. At all. All we want to do is talk. And I, can I tell you about, nope, nope. Turn on a radio. Point a speaker at you, turn it up as loud as I can, and just stand there. It says, <clears throat> when men hate you, you might be on the right road. As long as they're hating you for Jesus and not because you're a butthead, right? Okay, keep that in mind. I, I, it is possible that I could act buttheadish sometimes. So we want to be we want to be hated for Jesus' sake, not because of us. But if they all love you, and there's a little warning there, isn't there? And then look at the last thing we want to look at today: reacting with love toward your enemies. Just hear this part: hear Jesus. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, by the way, that word can also mean jaw, so it's not necessarily a slap. Offer the other also. The one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, don't demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Who are the blessed ones who learn to love their enemy? Here's what's important about this. God's been doing that since the history of man. Just think about that. God's been doing that. Do you take his stuff? The Bible says that the earth is his and the fullness thereof. Everything here belongs to him. You take it. You enjoy it. Are you thankful for it? Does God stop giving it? Does He not allow people to take it anymore? Everything that we see in these verses is something that God's been doing for millennia. What is He saying? What is He saying? Who are the blessed? The blessed are the ones who can see the world like I see it. Who can love the world like I love it. Who can care about people like I care about them. Who love what I love and hate what I hate. Those who will come and follow me. Those are the blessed. 
Those are the blessed. Those who can comprehend the things that he's laying out. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? He gives a principle of return. What's that? What's a principle of return? He says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You want people to curse you? Then don't curse people. Would you have someone loan to you without charging interest? Then don't charge interest. Would you rather have someone love you or hate you? Well, most of us would, if we're honest, say, I'd rather have somebody love me than hate me. So God's saying then, do unto others what you want done to you. Have the attitude toward others that you want poured out to you. But they're not going to. But they're going to do this. You just said they're going to hate me. You're right. They're going to hate you. So, they hate God too. They may want to kill me. Yeah, surprise. They did the same to the Christ. He goes on to say, But love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You hear what He's saying? The heart of God, we argue about, should I do this? I shouldn't do this. this uh, God, God doesn't really want us to do these things. I don't know. I'm just telling you. All those words are in red. They ought to be, especially if you have a red letter edition in your Bible. These are all things that Jesus said, and what He's showing you is what the Father's been doing since creation. This is what God has been doing since creation. And he says, come and follow me. It's not the easy road. It's the narrow road. But it is the road that leads to life. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this, guys. It says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This light momentary affliction. That's what, how he describes life here. How does he describe life in eternity with Christ? An eternal weight of glory. An eternal weight. Light affliction for eternal weight. Standing with Jesus it always costs something. It always costs something. Jesus don't charge it. He just wants you to know, I've been treating the world this way since I made it. I give to men every day. Every day is the sun, every day there's air, every day there's blessing. Man curses me that I made the earth wild. But nonetheless, those same things that we read from 31 to the to 35 are all things that God's been doing. Jesus said, come follow me. Which of us were not enemies of God when Jesus died for us? The Bible says, do you not know that you were at enmity with God? You were at war with God and then Jesus died for you anyway? Jesus loved you enough when you were his enemy. All he's saying is, come and what? Follow me. Makes the song a little harder to sing, don't it? Because this is what he's asking us to follow in. Listen to verse 36. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Man, 
There's a lot of things in there that I can't do. I have a hard time. Maybe I'm the only one. I have a hard time doing all that. I see that that's what God does. I have a hard time being like God. So what did he do? He gave me his spirit. For what? To help me walk the walk. To help me be who I need to be. Jesus said this. Just just let this melt into your mind for a minute. He said, it's better for me that I leave. It's better for, or it's better for you that I leave. Why would it be better for me that Jesus ain't here? He said, because I'm going to send the Spirit. And He's going to help you walk in truth. Isn't that what we need? We need to be able to walk in truth, responding to the call of Jesus. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word. Lord, I just pray, God, I know I know it's late. I know there's lots of things to do and places to be and I don't know. God, I just pray that, uh, Lord, your spirit breaks through. All the nonsense is washed away, God. And what we're left with is the voice of our Savior saying, this is my heart. This is what it looks like. A relationship with me. This is what it's about. This is how you do it. This is who I am. God, I I pray we fall in love with who you are in reality. Because the world is full of people who think differently than this. Who think I should hate my enemy. And who think I should be satisfied now. And who think that all this stuff is just a giant waste of time. But God, we know it's not. I know. Because I've been touched by the Christ and He has taken the brokenness in me and made it whole. I've heard the call of the Christ and responded, Here I am, Lord. Use me. I stood before Him in humility with faith and an attitude of repentance and called on the name of the Lord and He heard me. And He's walked with me every day since. He's always been my comfort in times of difficulty. He has always charged me to finish my walk. I've got a ways to go yet. He's always challenged me to be more like Him and less like me. And one day I'm going to see His face. And I will proclaim now and always that He is worth it all. God, we give You praise. In Jesus' name. Amen.